what are you really connected to? What is it that when you hear that voice or you hear that sound that you immediately perk up, you respond, you're aware, it's got your attention. What is the voice that can almost always get your attention? In the scriptures today that we'll be looking at in John chapter 15, verse one through eight, starts off by saying, I am the true vine. And Christ talks about abiding in him. But for most of us, most Americans, matter of fact, 72% of Americans, you know what sound and what voice immediately, literally, as I was reading this article, makes the dopamine in your brain rush? You know what it is? It's your cell phone. <laughs> when it rings, when it buzzes, you immediately look. You feel it. You think about it. And most people are excited to some degree because maybe it's him, it's her, or somebody wants to give me money. <laughs> somebody wants to really give me something. And that's what most of us think. That's what most of us feel. And we're always abiding with our phone. And that next call, that next text, that next message. It's interesting. Uh, I was reading that scammers are at an all-time high through cell phones. Matter of fact, over $20 billion was scammed off of people last year through phone calls and through media messages through people's phones. And what's interesting is that, uh, number one, um, all of us get them. Matter of fact, there's an average, uh, we, we average one to one and a half uh, spam calls or unwanted calls, responses, text, uh, communications each day just from the phone. That's not even counting the computer. And what's interesting is 58% of these are fraudulent in some form. In other words, that excitement that you had in your pocket or that sound, it's probably somebody that's wanting to take advantage of you. They're not wanting to give you life. They're wanting to take your life away. They want your stuff. They want to scam you. That's what's going on. Interesting that it says this, that guess what state in the United States of America, percentage-wise, has more scam calls than any other state in America. Guess what state it is? Texas, that's right. Isn't it great to be from Texas? <laughs> Guess what city leads the nation in spam calls? Dallas, Texas. Everything bigger and better in Dallas, isn't it? Well, it's bigger anyway, I guess. I don't know about better. I'm not from here, by the way, but nevertheless. <laughs> Our world so desperately wants us to connect with it, wants to be our vine, wants to be our source of, so to speak, joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. But Jesus teaches the antithesis. He teaches the opposite. And we see in John chapter 15, he starts out with the seventh of the I am statements. Jesus has already said in the gospel of John, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. 
I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, truth, and the life. And now he says, I am the true vine. Now this would have been a scandalous statement at this time. You know why? Because we see in scripture, if you want to go back and read Psalm 80, uh, Jeremiah chapter two, there's multiple places where Israel is referred to as the vine, the grapevine. It was a picture uh, of prosperity. And uh, Psalm 80 literally says, I, I took you as a vine out of, out of Egypt and I planted you and your fruit spread all over the valleys and the hills. And so the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, grew up believing because God had chosen them as his primary instrument to make people know who God is, who Yahweh God is, to be a light to the Gentiles, so to speak. And they were the vine. And they had pride and they had hope in that. At the temple, uh, as you would go into the temple doors, Josephus, the extra biblical scholar, says that there was a 90-foot golden grapevine that hung, that's wrapped around the pillars and the doorpost of the temple, made of gold. And it was intricate. It was a thing of beauty. And Jesus says, I am the vine. What? No, we're the vine. No, the nation is the vine. Jesus says, no, I'm the true vine. He removes any doubt as to what his claim is at this point with this seventh I am. And he says, I am the true vine, not your nation, not your leaders, not your past, but I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser not the religious authorities, not your parents. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He's speaking to his disciples here. This is the night before he'd be crucified. He's already, they've already had the last supper. He's already washed their feet. And Judas has already departed for his betrayal. And Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples. And he says, I'm the true vine. And let me tell you something. Um, my father removes the branches that are not true, that are not real, that are not a part of the vine. And so as he's speaking to the disciples, they don't really fully ascertain it at that point, but later they will. And I want to tell you this, even those that are true, I prune. You know, we used to raise peach trees when I was growing up. And I remember having to prune those trees. And I was thinking, they look so big and full. And then we prune them. And my dad said, yes, so that they can bear more fruit. It, it will greatly reduce the, the quantity and the quality if we don't prune them. And so we see Jesus saying that the fruit's pruned. We know that the disciples will be pruned in a sense. Certainly Peter is confronted. Most of the disciples run away. And then the spirit of the Lord comes upon them after the resurrection. And ultimately we see the Holy Spirit raining down in Acts chapter two as they abide in him, as they are connected to the spirit. 
Verse three says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You are clean because the word, Jesus is the word. He is the logos. He is the purpose. He is the true vine. Because of the word I've spoken to you of forgiveness, of grace. Abide in me and I in you. What are you abiding in today? The ancient patristic fathers had three phases that they would use when they talked about the spiritual life, about those who followed Christ. And they weren't always in this order, uh, but they usually started off in this order, but then it was cyclical. And the first stage was called the purgative. And that's where sin and distractions are removed from your life, where the spirit convicts you and you begin to let go of things that so easily held you before. And as Jackie Hill Perry comes in a few moments, she's going to talk about that. But then the second phase uh, was illuminative, where you are illuminated with the word of God, the truth of God. You receive the truth and the reality of who Jesus is into your life. You're illuminated. And then you are united. The unitive is the way they talked about it. The purgative, the illuminative, the unitive. You are united, what? To the vine, to Christ. And apart from him, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says right here as we look, as he says in verse four, abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe you read that and you go, well, I'm not nothing. I can do some things. I mean, I've, I've got a husband or a wife. I have some children. I have a job. Matter of fact, I make decent money. I've got a car. I've got a house. I've got a title. I've got a degree. I can do some things. I don't know that I had to have Jesus for that. Well, first of all, it is all a blessing. But secondly, what Jesus is talking about is eternal. Apart from me, there is nothing eternal that you can do. Not by might or by power, but by your spirit, O oh Lord, is the only thing that can eternally transform lives. It's the only thing that is eternal. The fruit that comes from abiding in him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, the Old Testament word was dwell. We even see that at the end of Psalm 23. Um, as he said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't mean you live at church. It means that you continually return, that your spirit is connected, your heart is connected. If you are connected in my words, abide in you. Ask what you wish and it will be done unto you. Unto you. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity verse. That would be taken totally out of context. What has he just said? He's talked about, hey, you've been pruned, you've been cleaned, and you have been joined. You are abiding, and my words are in you. My spirit is in you, and as you invite, abide in me, ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Ask for things that are eternal, things that matter. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
So what does it look like to daily abide in Christ? How do I do that practically? Well, I did a little acrostic that hopefully is helpful. It's the word abide. You start off with adore. Adore Christ. You know why we primarily exist after we become believers in Christ Jesus? It's to bring glory to God. It's to worship. That's why we primarily come here on Sunday, to worship. Are you making time to worship him? Certainly on Sundays, but are you daily making time to adore, to praise, to honor him? The B is band distractions. You know, sometimes it's not big bad things that distract us from, from our relationship with Christ. It's little things. Maybe uh, it's like my son told me last Sunday. He said, Dad, you know what I'm doing for Lent? I'm giving up Instagram for 40 days. Now, for me, that wouldn't be a big deal. I look like at it like once a month. It'd be kind of like giving up broccoli. Wouldn't even be any big deal for me, okay? But for him, that is the media that he uses most often. For him, it was a big deal to let it go. But he said, you know, I noticed it's just kind of become a distraction. There are things that I really want to do. Some things are important and I'm not getting to it because of Instagram. It can be something that's good. It can be a social media. It can be whatever. But if it is distracting, if you say, I don't have time in the day, I guarantee you there's something in your life that's a distraction that's robbing you of your time. Number three, illuminate your heart and mind. Illuminate your heart and mind. Are you spending time in the word and in prayer? Is there a time that you are reading scripture each day? If not, I would challenge you this Lenten season to say for 40 days, I'm going to set a time. I'm going to devote, which is the next one. I'm going to devote a specific time, either at night or in the morning, at lunch, whenever you want it. I'm going to devote a time to read God's word. If you need a little help, we have devotionals in the back. You can pick them up. Guess what? They are about one minute devotions. I mean, we gave you, we put it on the bottom shelf. If you can't do that one minute, you got problems in your life, all right? So we did it as, as far, and I hope you're doing a whole lot more, but maybe you need to start with one minute if you're doing no minutes. But devote time, and then last, lastly, engage in the gospel. Begin to talk with others about what God is doing in your life. Begin to have gospel conversations and look for opportunities to, to share the goodness of God and the goodness of Christ as you abide in him.